Thank you, Sarah, for leading us. I love the songs of faith, some of the old songs of faith and, and some newer songs of faith. And what a, what a powerful song right there. On the other side of doubt is faith. Oh, too often we, we've heard these good old Baptist preachers tell us that, that there can be no doubt with our faith. That's not a reality. Our, our doubt, as we struggle with our doubts, can strengthen our faith. And I pray that as you have doubts about, about your faith today, that you would allow God to strengthen that. It's the assurance of things hoped for, uh, the conviction of things not yet seen. And so those things that we can't grasp and see and touch and smell, we struggle with. But we can be confident in faith. So thank you, Sarah, for reminding us that on the other side of doubt is faith. And so let's wrestle with that. And let's allow our doubt to strengthen our faith and not to tear us away and weaken us in our faith. I'm reminded on this as we've been preparing for this weekend and, and preparing for today, the idea of, of duos, of, of partners has, has come up. So I thought I would just check with you and see how your uh, reference to pop culture and maybe a little political history is today. So if I were to say about this famous uh, duo, uh, I'll give you one and you match the other, okay? So if I said peanut butter, you might say... Very good. There's a Toy Story 4's out, so if I said Buzz, you might say? All right, you, maybe you grilled out today or this weekend for the 4th of July, so if you have burger, then what are you going to have with your burger? Fries, maybe some chips. <laughs> whatever, whatever else. There's been a lot of news in the NBA, and we're trying to figure out the new duos in the NBA, so if I said LeBron... You might say AD. If I said KD, you might say Kyrie. If I said Leonard, you might say, oh, painfully George. If I said Westbrook, I don't know what you'd say. <laughs> Duos. What about in our political history? What about presidents? If I said George, what would you say? Martha? Would any of you say Barbara? Or Laura, we've had several Georges this present. If I said John, you might say Jacqueline. If I said Ron, you might say Nancy. If I said Brock, you might say Michelle. Very good. Did you know there's another Brock? Or there's a Brock in Scripture? And the Brock of Scripture is referenced in our Hebrews chapter 11 story. In this great story of faith, the writer of Hebrews says this, What more shall I say if only I had time to tell you about Gideon, about Barak, about Samson, about Jephthah, and about David? And this summer, we are making time to, to go back and tell some of these stories. Now, the first of those four, Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah are all judges. And their stories are told in the book of Judges. Last week, we talked about and began with Gideon's story, and this week, we're going to talk about Barak's story and the incredible faith partner, the, the partner in faith that he discovered and found in Deborah. And so as we begin to ask the question, who is your faith partner, who are the faith partners the mentors, maybe, in our, our modern language we're more comfortable with, who are the, the faith mentors 
that have meant so much to you in your faith journey. And maybe even on the other side of that, who are those that today you are coming along beside and offering to be a faith partner, a faith mentor, as they mature and as they grow in their own faith? The story of Barak is told in Judges chapter 4 and 5. So let's go there. And it's interesting, chapter 4 was probably written after chapter 5. Chapter 4 is, the, is what we call the historical, the, the, the narrative story of Barak and, and of Deborah and of their victory over, over Sisera and the king of Canaan. And chapter 5 is the poetic version or story of that. In fact, chapter 5 is considered to be one of the most significant pieces of ancient Israelite poetry that we have today. It was written most likely in the 12th century, that would be in the the 1100s BC, and it was written as a response probably immediately or very soon after the battle and the victory that took place to retell the story. And so chapter 4 and chapter 5 are are telling the same story, but using different approaches to do that. And so I would encourage you over this next week to, to go back and read the historical narrative, which we'll focus on mostly today, but go back and read the poetic version of the story as well that we'll draw from this morning. So let's begin in in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Notice the story begins as as most of the judge stories begin. Israel is crying out to the Lord. The sons of Israel have turned against Yahweh, and they have been in captivity for a generation, or at least for 20 years is what the Scripture tells us here, that they've been under the oppression, under the, the, the bullying, if you would, of the king of Canaan, Jabin, and the general of his army, Sisera. And the reason why is because the Israelites have left God. If you look in chapter 5, part of the poetry I want to draw your attention to, in verse 8, gives us the background of, of this uh, a turning against this rebellion against Yahweh. Uh, Deborah most likely is the one that is, is, is putting together this, pro, excuse me, this poetry of chapter 5. And she says this, New gods were chosen, then war was in the gates. So the, the story is, is that over a period of time that the Israelites chose new gods, and with these new gods came new war, new battle, and Sisera is the commander of the army of the king of Canaan. Now the interesting thing about Sisera's army is that it featured 900 iron chariots. The Canaanites had been well advanced into the iron age of that period. And their army reflected that. Their army reflected the, the chariots of the day. And yet the Israelites had not, had not crossed that bridge yet. And their, their warriors in particular still did not reflect that of the iron age They still fought with spear and with shield. Last month, we had the chance to be in in Europe on the the Rhine River cruise, and I had the chance to go to the Maginot Line there in France. And if you remember your kind of World War I to World War II history, what happened was the French decided they didn't want to suffer defeat as they had before and get caught in a a trench warfare, so they designed a, a defense system 
that was to prevent or to prevail against anyone coming from that direction from Germany that would come against them. And so they built this impressive and massive fortification that stretched for miles with tunnels, with static gun emplacements that they could, they could shoot, destroy, and defend whatever. But what they discovered was a new type of warfare when the Germans attacked to begin World War II. And that was called Blitzkrieg, Lightning War, which featured tanks. And these tanks simply went around these static lines of defense. This Lightning War was a war that the French had not prepared for. And so in very quick fashion, just as 900 chariots might plow through a, a, a group of men, an army of men with nothing more than spears and shields, the Germans were able to advance and to conquer, to sign treaty with France very quickly as World War II began. I think that's the picture we want to relate to here as the Israelites are being bullied and oppressed by Sisera. Well, he has the iron chariots and all we have are a few spears and shields. We would be slaughtered in any kind of warfare. And yet God's people began to cry out. So let's pick up the story in verse 4. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lipidoth, was judging Israel at the time. And she used to sit under the palm of Deborah. I suspect it was called that after she sat there than before, but it's the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the sons of Israel came up to her for judgment. Now she sent and she summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Behold, the Lord, the God of Israel, has commanded, Go and march to Mount Tabor, and take with you 10,000 men from the sons of Naphtali and the sons of Zebulun. And I will draw out to you Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his many troops to the river Kishon, and I will give him into your hand. And then Barak said to her, I suspect there is a long pause between verse 7 and verse 8. Then Barak said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. But nevertheless, the honor shall not be yours on the journey that you are about to take. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. And then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali together to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up with him. Deborah also went up with him. It's the introduction to our story in preparing for, for this battle in which the Lord is going to give victory to the Israelites. And we're first introduced to Deborah. Now, Deborah is a key and important figure for us. Obviously, Deborah is a, is a woman. And she's found in a place of great authority and respect in Israel in this moment. She's described as a mighty woman of valor. She's a prophetess. She's a judge of Israel, which means she has gifts of insight, of wisdom, and of foresight. The people of Israel depended upon her as a channel of wisdom and of guidance from the Lord. She was a woman who, through which the Word of God was received and was passed on to God's people. She acted and ministered in the line of Miriam, of Huldah, and of Anna. 
but also in the great line of judges like Gideon and Shamgar and Othniel. Deborah was in effect the ruler of Israel with no male counterpart at that time. And yet God called her out to use her in this mighty and significant way. And so I, I think there's a map. Do we get the map up here? I just wanted to give you a perspective on some geography here. There's, a, there's an old photo we found of Deborah in the, in the archives. But anyway, <laughs> Deborah hung out her oak tree, uh, was there between Bethel and Ramah. There at Harosheth Hagoyim was where Sisera and his army was located. And there in Hazor was where the king of Canaan lived. But also, it's important to note that just north of Hazor was where Barak lived. And so Deborah had a stirring from the Lord. And so you can see that she had to send for uh, Barak, who was up north, even of the king of Canaan. And so when she sent for Barak, what did he do? Oh, it's such a long journey and it's just a woman. I'm not going to go. She doesn't have any authority over me. No, this is the judge of Israel. And she, he heard from her and he went to hear what God was saying and speaking to her about. Notice that he had to go through the, he came to the side. Notice also that, that when the call is given to Barak to raise the armies and to call them in from Naphtali and from Zebulun, those are the, the, the tribes of Benjamin that are there between Hazor and where Herosheth Hagoyim is. And notice the valley there, and you can see the, the green line, that's the river, the Kishon River, where the battle will take place. Mount Tabor is there, uh, is one of the end mountains that, that you can see on the map, is where the armies were to gather. And so I wanted to set the setting for you geographically so that you could see where, where the, the different characters were and how they were moving at this time. And so Deborah, the prophetess, the judge of Israel, calls... Barak down and says, Barak, take 10,000 men. Go to Mount Tabor and I will give you Sisera into your hands at the river Kishon. Deborah offered this word of the Lord to Barak. God was stirring. God was hearing His people and God was about to, to free His people from Sisera and the oppression of the king of Canaan. Brock's call to faith, however, would soon become what I want to call today a crisis of belief. It was Henry Blackaby that said and described a crisis of belief as that which happens when God invites us and clearly identifies His call in our lives. When we have an awareness of what God is doing around us, we enter into what he would call a crisis of belief. And here we are as Deborah presents the word of the Lord to Brock. Brock has a, a crisis of belief here. Is he going to believe that God really desires to use him to defeat Sisera, to bring freedom to Israel once again? In that moment, he had a decision to make. Would he believe? Would he obey? Would he move forward? Or would he doubt, disobey? Would he turn in fear and run away? And just like Barak, each of us face those crises of belief, those decisions each and every day of faith as we become aware of what God is doing around us and God's invitation to go and to serve and to make a difference for Him. 
But you can imagine the decision that Barak would make. How could his foot soldiers, even 10,000 foot soldiers with spears and shields, how could they defeat Sisera's army with 900 chariots? What would he do? How would he respond? And like I said, I, I can't help but believe that between verse 7 and 8, there's a long pause. And Barak finally responded. I suspect he looked Deborah straight, straight in the eyes. And he said, Deborah, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, then I will not go. I can't help but believe that Brock, with all of his heart, wanted to believe Deborah's words from the Lord, but his faith was weak. Oh, how he must have wanted to defeat Sisera and to see the king of Canaan defeated. Yet he was fearful. Yet somehow Barak believed that Deborah's faith was strong enough and that her presence and her guidance and her wisdom with him would somehow strengthen his own faith, strengthen his own courage, would give him the ability to move forward and accomplish what God desired in his life. So he asked her to come alongside of him. Come alongside of me as we prepare for and as we go into battle. Deborah's response was what you would expect from someone who, who, who had a message from the Lord and wanted to see that fulfilled and, and wanted to walk with someone to encourage and to, to even strengthen their faith. And Deborah replied, very well. Very well, Brock. I'll go with you. But you need to be aware of something. The honor of the battle, though, will not be yours. She didn't explain that in detail, just simply to say, you'll have the victory, but you will not have the glory, the honor. So Deborah consented to go alongside of Barak and his army. She agreed to go along in our context today to be a faith partner with Barak, to, to be a mentor with him, to walk with him. In fact, it is Deborah who, in that moment before the battle, that, that understood this was the right time, this was the right place. The moment was here, and it was Deborah who sounded the battle cry for Barak. And she said, Arise, in verse 14, Arise, Barak, for this is the day which the Lord will give Sisera into your hands. Behold, the Lord has gone out before you. Deborah reminded and strengthened Barak's faith. What a great word of encouragement for us to, to offer to others and even to our own selves. Behold, behold, the Lord has gone out before you. The Lord has gone ahead. The victory is yours. And then do you know what happened? Do you know what happened in this battle scene? Lightning struck. Brock's name means lightning. Brock equals lightning. And you have this picture of lightning striking as, as the Israelites rush down the mountain and they catch Sisera and they destroy the chariots. 
the Lord had gone before him. And Barak and his soldiers were able to act as a lightning and rush down and win the battle. But we need to look at chapter 5 too. Because the other kind of lightning must have struck as well. Look at chapter 5. And this is why this poetry is so powerful and, and so beautiful and gives perspective of, of how God came alongside of Barak and of Deborah and, and won the victory for is, the Israelites. Look at verse 20. And again, I would encourage you to go back and read this, the entirety of this beautiful poem. But verse 20 gets the, the picture of the battle. The stars fought from heaven. From their courses they fought against Sisera. The torrent of Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon. O oh my soul, march on with strength. Then the horse's hoofs beat from the dashing, the dashing of the valiant steeds. So do you have the picture? Barak and his army have the high ground and, and Sisera and his men are down where the, the chariots can, can, can get along and where they can, can navigate. And they're there next to a river, the river Kishon. And then lightning strikes literally and the thunderstorms and the rain comes. And there's only one thing that would probably be worse than just having swords and shields against chariots. And that's chariots that are stuck in the mud. And as 10,000 men come charging down out of the mountain, lightning. As 10,000 men come charging out of the mountain, Sisera and his chariots become stuck in the mud and the river overflows and the victory is won by the Lord. And if you go on and read both in chapter 4 and chapter 5, you see um, how the victory is ultimately won, that Sisera's army is destroyed, yet Sisera manages to escape and make his way and he, he finds hospitality in the tent of a woman named Jael. And as his, her hospitality reaches out to him, she finds an opening and a way in which to win the glory, so to speak, of the battle, and she kills Sisera, a story that you'll want to read if you're not familiar with. But the question that I want us to ask today as we reflect on this battle and as we reflect on, on God's victory, because after this victory, what we discover is that Israel is once again at peace for another 40 years as the Lord has won the victory and freed them from their oppressor. So as we step back and we reflect on this story of Barak, I'm left with a quandary. Something doesn't quite make sense to me. On one hand, Barak's faith and determination seem to me to be weak. He clearly knows God's will for his life in leading the Israelites into battle, yet he's unwilling to go by himself. In fact, he needs to ask Deborah to go with him. And imagine in that day asking a woman to go with him into battle. His faith doesn't appear to be very strong. His lack of faith that Deborah reminds him, his lack of faith means that he will not receive the glory from the battle. But he will be known as the general who let a woman steal the victory of honor from him and of glory. Yet... Barak is one of the men mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. He's mentioned as one of the hero, heroes of the faith. He's mentioned as one of the guys whose story that we need to read and understand and to learn about. 
So how can this be? How can one whose faith seemed to be so weak on one hand be one who's exalted and praised for his faith on the other? What will we do with this? How do we understand this? How do we uphold and lift Barak high as an example of faith as is described in Hebrews chapter 11? Let me offer one possibility. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9-10, through 10, Paul says this, Jesus said to me that my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Paul says, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I wonder if the, in the example of Barak, we find an example of humility. An example of humility in recognizing our own weaknesses the own fragile nature of our own faith. Remember what Jesus says, that all we need is the faith of a mustard seed in order to move mountains. So maybe what the Scripture is is reminding us of is not that we need to be boastful and be, be proud of this great faith that we might have, but maybe when we're encountering the the challenges and the struggles and the battles of life, that we can just cling on to this little piece of faith that resides deep within us, that wants to grow, that wants to move mountains, and that may need a little nurturing as we're aware and asking others to come alongside of us to encourage us. You see, I believe we all want to believe. We we all want to obey those great calls of God in our life. We want God to use us in battles. We want God to allow us to make a difference in our world. Yet we are afraid and unsure. If only we had a, a faith partner. If only we had someone who would come alongside of us that would go with us. If only... If only a Deborah would come alongside of me to help me understand what God's will was in my life, to walk with me and help me discern the the key moments in which I need to act and step out in faith. I think Barak's example reminds us that the journey of faith is not one that's to be taken alone. There comes a point that we all need someone to come alongside of us even as we prepare to lead the battles that God has called us to. Oh, that we would learn what it means to surround ourselves with mentors and faith partners that can encourage us. English, the English statesman Henry Van Dyke said this, those closest to you will determine your level of success. So here's the question I want us to ponder over these next minutes. Who are your faith partners? Who comes alongside of you and and, and partners with you and encourages you? And on the other other hand, who are those faith partners that you're investing in and nurturing and encouraging? Now, I want to offer one caveat, and it's significant. 
Well, the one major difference between Barak and Deborah's situation was the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. And as we study the judges, what we would understand is that, that the judges, there's a special movement of the Spirit of God to, to come and to overcome and to, to, to invest and to indwell a judge at a particular time. Barak did not have that kind of relationship with God. In our New Testament context, we understand that the great faith partner of our lives is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that comes to reside deep within us as we repent of our sin and as we turn and follow Christ as Savior and Lord of our lives. So yes, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, is our primary faith partner that we, we can listen to that, that stirs in our hearts and offers direction. But still, I believe that God uses special relationships in order to nurture, to instruct, to help us to discern, and to encourage us for the life that He calls us to. We see these special relationships all through Scripture. In the Old Testament, Moses and Aaron, Ruth and Naomi, David and Jonathan, David and Nathan... In the New Testament, I think of, of those when we think of mentoring, I think of Paul and Timothy. And we remember Paul and Barnabas and their special relationship on that first missionary journey as well. Who have been your faith partners through the years? Who have been those that have come alongside of you and mentored you? Who, who have been those you've menteed before? Friends, teachers, parents, spouse, a sibling, a child a minister, a coach, who are those in your life that have, have come alongside of you and, and partnered with you in life and in faith? This morning, I hope that you'll reflect on those, that you'll give thanks for those. But right now, I want us to look at the way faith partners can help us in at least four ways. Faith partners, first of all, we look at the story of Barak and of Deborah. Faith partners help us understand God's call in our lives. Our faith partners offer perspective, discernment, and insight into our lives. It's important to have someone like a Deborah who can speak into our lives. Someone that we know that, that loves us, that we can trust. And they've earned the opportunity, the right, and the privilege to speak into our lives at critical times. To say, hey, do you, do you believe that God may be doing this in your life? Your friends, so many people see that God is moving and stirring in your life this way. Oh, that you would just have the courage to, to step forward and to move forward in this way. You see, faith partners help us to understand God's call, direction in our life. And these faith partners are able to walk with us to encourage us and to clarify the direction that God is leading us. Secondly, faith partners go into battle with us. I love Brock's question. I think it's a question that we all need to learn how to ask and not be afraid to ask because there are times in each of our lives, there are situations in each season of life where we need to ask someone this question. Will you go with me? Will you go with me to the doctor's office? I've got an appointment that I'm pretty nervous about will you go with me to church y'all are here at church but but church is one of the hardest place for someone who's unchurched to go 
And, and maybe the question you, you could ask someone is, would you go to church with me? Or maybe someone in, in various different ways, you know, what, are, what do you do at that church? What do you, what do you hear? What do you learn? And, and maybe someone would say, can I go to church with you? Will you go with me to talk to the pastor? Will, will you go with me to talk to this person? Would you go with me to my 12-step program? You know what? I've got a decision that I need to make in these next few weeks or months. Would you be willing to walk with me during this season and pray with me? You see, we all need faith partners who would be willing to go into battle with us. But we need to take the initiative and ask the question, will you go? Will you go with me? Thirdly, faith partners, as we look at this story, offer wisdom. I love the fact that Deborah was willing to go, but Deborah was also able to offer some wisdom to Brock. Brock, I will go with you, but you need to know that if I go with you, that you will not receive the glory from the battle. I think Brock would say, that's okay, I'm fine with just the victory. I don't need the glory, I don't need the fame. But Deborah had the wisdom, she had insight from the Lord that said, if I go with you, you will not share the glory from the battle. I love the way that Deborah was sensitive to the timing. You can imagine Brock was so busy making sure his troops had arrived and, and were settled, and it was Deborah that rose up and said, Brock, today's the day. Today is the timing of the Lord. And she helped to Brock to discern that this was the time and this was the place. Oh, that we could have faith partners who would come alongside of us and share their wisdom and share their insight with us. That we could come alongside of and say, you know, Deborah, what do you think will happen if, if I do this? If I make this decision, how do you think that will play out in my life? What, what do you see? What, what are you sensitive to? What would you do in this situation? How would you act or react? How would you understand Scripture? What does the Bible say about this situation? And, and how can you help me to really meditate and focus on the Word of God through this situation? What are some of the, the passages and stories that would be helpful? Can you help me to better understand? How can my faith help and inform me in this time. We all need faith partners, mentors that can come along and we can ask those difficult questions too and they can offer wisdom and insight and discernment. And finally, I think from this story, we see that faith partners are there to celebrate the victory with us. Faith partners are not just there to walk us to the door. They're not just there to get us into the battlefield, but they're there also to celebrate the victories. I mentioned that, that chapter 5 may have, have been a response. I think it was a, a response of Deborah and Barak to celebrate the victory. Listen to the first, first three verses. Then Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, sang on that day. They sang on the day of their victory, and they said that the leaders led in Israel, that the people volunteered, Bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O rulers. I to the Lord, I will sing. I will sing praises to the Lord, the God of Israel. Oh, don't you see that faith partners are there to come alongside of us and to celebrate with us? 
to celebrate the victories and the progress that we're making. And yet, it seems like a lot of times that's the hardest thing to do is to, to celebrate. Is to acknowledge we've accomplished something. We've, we've, we've had a victory in the Lord. Oh, that we would understand that it's time to celebrate in those appropriate moments. So the question for you is, how do you celebrate? How do you celebrate your victories? Or maybe even better said, who do you celebrate your victories with? Who's responsible for the victories in your life? Who can you call and say, hey, I, I got that, that promotion. I, I made this decision. We've had this victory and I want you to celebrate with us. Too often we neglect to celebrate. And so church, for these reasons, I believe that Barak's faith is commended because he reached out to Deborah. He reached out to Deborah with the faith that he had in that moment and he found a faith partner that helped him to understand his call and what God was calling him to do. That went into battle with him. That offered wisdom to him at a critical time. And that was there to celebrate the victory with him. Brock was commended because we know in Hebrews chapter eleven six 6 that without faith it is impossible to please God. So today, as we wrap up this story of faith, I want to commend you to cultivate and to nurture your own faith partners, to give thanks to them, to cultivate and nurture those relationships, to take initiative with them, and then to take time to celebrate with them and to give God the glory and the thanks for all that He is doing in your life. Will you make that commitment to the Lord today? Will you seek to find those partners, those mentors that can come alongside of you in the difficulties and struggles of life and faith? Let's pray. Father, you are a good and gracious God. And we thank you that today we've been able to celebrate and to worship. We've been able to reflect on our faith. We've been able to share this story of Barak and of Deborah. And to see the importance of having someone who can come alongside of us to encourage us and to love us and to offer insight and wisdom. Someone who's willing to go to the battlefield with us. And someone who's willing to celebrate the victories of life. Lord, faith is not to be lived alone. The Scripture tells us that we're part of a body of Christ. A body where we each have a function and that others come alongside and, and, and have a different function and insight and perspective. And Lord, may we draw from the strength of this body even as we walk today. Lord, I know there are those that are struggling with important decisions. They're struggling with faith issues, with, with family issues, with health issues, and, and they sense your call and your direction, but they need a, a partner to come alongside to walk with them and encourage them. I pray that you give them the courage to ask, will you go with me? Will you walk with me? Would you visit with me? Would you be a partner in faith with me during this season of life? In this moment, I want to ask you just to reflect on what God's stirring in your heart. Would you make that commitment to Him? I'll be here at the front to receive those that would come, but you can make that decision in your own pew as well. You can reach out to that person God is calling you on your own. Would you do that even during this time? as we stand and as we sing and as Sarah leads us. Amen.